hello from the members of First United Methodist Church in Royce City. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We hope you find it meaningful and relevant. You're invited to join us for worship anytime, and you can learn more about our worship options, location, and small group opportunities by visiting our website, fumcroycecity.org. Today, we hear from our pastor, Reverend Chris Everson. May God bless you as you listen to His Word proclaimed. So last week we started the season of Lent. We started a new series called uh, The Jesus-Shaped Life. And, and one of the things that I love to do during the season of Lent, and I've, I've done it more uh, throughout the regular year, is to have uh, spiritual practices for you to practice. And the reason why I do that is not to, not to add something to what I know your busy lives are already are. But, but I want you to have the opportunity to practice something so that you can grow in, in, in Christ-likeness, to grow to have this, this Jesus-shaped life in your life. So hopefully you had the opportunity to, to practice this, uh, the, the, the spiritual practice from last week. I know if you're on Facebook, I uh, posted it yesterday on Facebook, and, and I know we have some extra copies uh, in the office that you can grab if you actually want a hard copy of it. But, you know, I, I, I love the practice that we had last week. I think mainly because I, I like to gravitate towards silence. I like gravitating to a place where I can and can reflect on on God's love in my life. And you've heard me say one of the phrases that I say whenever I start that is, Lord Jesus, I am yours. To, to, to remind myself of who I belong to. I, I am a child of God and I live in that love and grace as best as I can, even though I know that there are times that I fail in doing that. But the other part of that was also a, a very interesting practice, and it was like taking a look at the, the passage from Isaiah chapter 30 and, and seeing what verse spoke to you during this time of silence. I had a couple people come to me and said, man, I had a really hard time finding something, and that's okay. That's okay, because we really just want to have the opportunity to allow God's scripture to speak into our lives, and maybe something popped out to you, and maybe something would didn't pop out to you, but at least you engaged in the text. For me, the verse that popped out was this verse from Isaiah 30, verse 21. And when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. And I will have to admit, me being a, a Star Wars nerd and having Disney Plus, the first thing that popped into my mind with that, this is the way is the, the Mandalorian. But, but after that, I was like, you know, it doesn't matter where we go. God is there with us. We, we talked about during the Covenant series about the, the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. Even though they were wandering in the wilderness, God's presence was always with them, telling them, this is the way. Walk in it. Listen. Understand. Be my children. So it doesn't matter if we go to the right or to the left. God is always there guiding us and leading us in the way. And that's just such a beautiful picture. 
But today we're going to talk about an aspect of Jesus' life and how we can have that become an aspect of our life, talking about what Jesus and obedience means, talking about the obedience of Jesus. So as we prepare to hear God's word, would you please go to God in prayer with me? Let us pray. Oh God, you show us the way to live. You give us the guidance that we need day by day, step by step. And Lord, wherever we go, wherever we turn, you are there behind us saying, this is the way. Walk in it. So God, as we spend this time together, we pray that you let the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart here be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Obedience. What are some of the things that come to your mind when you hear that word? When you hear obedience, do you have more of a, a, a positive aspect of that, or a positive view of obedience, or do you have more of a negative view of obedience? I know looking at a simple definition of what obedience is, it's a compliance with an order, request, or law, or submission to another's authority. And being a, a red-blooded American, sometimes we have a problem with authority. I'll say maybe most of the time we have a problem with authority because we want to be our own master. We, we want to have say over what we have control over and how dare anyone else tell us how we should live our lives. I'll tell you honestly, whenever I think about the word obedience, I, I think about this picture right here. This is uh, Luke and Heidi. They were uh, our dogs uh, a few years ago back uh, when, when Trace and I were married and we were getting ready to leave Gainesville to go to another appointment. The uh, choir director at First Gainesville, uh, she and her husband, they had a couple of golden retrievers and, and they bred dogs. And, and they gave us and they gave my mother-in-law, our mother, Tracy's mom, my mother-in-law, a dog. Uh, so Luke and Heidi. Luke was our dog. Heidi was Sandy's dog. Luke was an amazing dog. Luke was so well-behaved, so obedient. He, he would do basically whatever you ask him to do. One of the things that I love to do, we would go on walks, and, and I would actually be able to take Luke out on a walk without a leash and walk around our neighborhood, and Luke would always be right there by my side. Didn't matter where I went, you know, if, if I were, you know, to play around just to see, I can't believe he's doing this. I would like move down the street like this and he would just always be right there beside me walking step by step, you know, just not even straying away because he knew that he was supposed to be right there beside me. He would sit up on the couch beside us and we can pet him and everything. It was a great, great dog. Then there was Heidi. Heidi was a sweet dog. I, I loved Heidi a lot too, but Heidi was a handful. We had, we had a special name for Heidi. We called her Spasmodica. We called her Spasmodica because she was a lovable spaz. And, and, and Sandy could not 
keep control of Heidi. The doorbell would ring. Heidi's all over the place, jumping all over the place. You know, uh, somebody would, would move out in the backyard. Heidi's jumping all over the place. You open up the door. Heidi would run out and jump right into my mother-in-law's swimming pool. Even if it was freezing outside, she would do that. Sandy tried to train her. I think Sandy took her to at least three or four or five different classes. And, and I don't know how, but you know, she had the graduation certificates that proved that Heidi did everything that she was supposed to do. But Heidi was never act or be obedient to whatever Sandy wanted her to do. Finally, we had to have Heidi come and live with us. And I tell you, those were... Just some fun years with that spasmodica of a dog just riling everyone up. But we loved her. And whenever I think about Heidi and when I think about Luke, I think about our relationship with God. You know, sometimes we are very obedient. And when we're walking beside God, we are there lockstep and everywhere that God is guiding us, everywhere that God is leading us to where we are to go. And we are, are just trained. This is where I'm supposed to be. But I think for me, mostly in my life, I'm, I'm kind of like Heidi. I can be very spasmodica myself when it comes to following God. Because I see something shiny and I want to run to it. Or, or, or I see something that maybe I shouldn't really do, like, like jump into a swimming pool whenever it's uh, winter outside, and I want to do it anyway because it's fun for me. I don't want to listen or to understand what it is that God has for me as his child. You know, I think obedience in Scripture kind of gives us a different picture of what obedience really is. Now, we know a general idea is having a higher authority, have, having somebody or something that we are, we are under. But there's a couple of other terms uh, in Greek that, that have different ideas or, or different themes of what obedience really is. One is the placing oneself under someone's authority and submitting to them and, and doing everything that they tell us or call us to do. But the other way that we look at obedience is through the word trust, is to hear God's word and to act accordingly to what it is that God is calling us to do. But, but how does that play out in our lives? How, how does it play to, uh, to live in that trust, to live into that understanding? You know, for me, I have a very sharp tendency to want to take shortcuts. Whenever I find something that I can move quicker and faster to get something done, and then I realized, well, maybe I really didn't do that and made it quicker and faster, but I made it a lot harder for me to complete the tasks that I needed to do. And one of the ways that I think about it was me with uh, remote controls. I, I, I love remote controls. And the thing that I love about remote controls more is that I get to push buttons. You know, yeah, they, they give you a book. They tell you what the buttons do and how to do that. But, you know, those remote control books now are thick. And I don't want to spend time reading a book on how to do something on a remote control. I'll just push the buttons, and whenever it's done, it's done. 
and when Tracy or, or somebody asks me, so how'd you do that? I, go, I don't know, I just pushed the buttons. And then I have to go back and learn what I did where if I would have done that to begin with, I would have been better off. A couple of weeks ago, I was on a, a spiritual retreat uh, called the School of Kingdom Living, and one of my classmates and uh, s- uh, small group members, he had his computer there, and I realized that he had the exact same Bible software on his computer that I have on my computer. A- and my Bible software has been frustrating me for a while because there's some things about it that I just haven't understood. Of course, what have I been doing? I've just been clicking on it and trying to see what works and what doesn't work. So I walked up to Lee and I said, hey, how does this work? I mean, I know I have this little thing on my computer that I have a hard time seeing around. How do you get rid of that? And of course, his answer, well, did you watch the tutorials? No, I didn't watch the tutorials. I've just been clicking around and stuff. And he showed me, well, the tutorial tells you that if you push this certain button, it'll go away. So I pulled out my computer, and I pushed that certain button, and guess what? It went away. But see, Lee did the work. He didn't take the shortcut to try to, to make that happen. He, he understood that he had to listen. And then not only listen, he had to do what the instructions told him to do. That brings us to our passage today, but before we get to our passage, we need to have a little bit of an understanding about what Jesus is talking about in this passage. Our our scripture passage is from what's called the Sermon on the Plain. Yeah, you heard heard me right. There there, there are two different sermons that are in scripture. In Matthew, we have the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 5 through 8. And then in the Gospel of Luke, we have the Sermon on the Plain. And a couple of the the exceptions or differences between these two sermons is who they are addressed to. The Sermon on the Mount is addressed to the the Jewish listeners of of the Galilean area or or the, the Sea of Galilee area. And while the Sermon on the Plain was addressed to a, a Gentile audience, those who were not of the Jewish faith. And, but if you look at these two sermons, there, there are some parallels that are the same there. First of all, you have the blessings. The Sermon on the Mount has that famous blessing at the very beginning of that, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Now, the Sermon on the Plain says it a little bit differently because it's addressing a different audience. The Sermon on the Plain says, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. It it doesn't make it a, a spiritual thing, but it makes it an actual need thing. It makes it that, that God is saying, that Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are poor because they will inherit the kingdom of God. And then after a short lift of blessings, we come to the woes. And the woes are addressed to the, the rich people, those who are, are comfortable with what they have. Woe to you who are rich and powerful. Woe to you who have everything that you ever need because you are going to miss it. Now that's the Chris Everson paraphrase of it. It's not the direct quote of, of the Sermon on the Plain. But, but Jesus is reminding them, look, if you are comfortable where you are, woe to you because you will miss the point. 
you will miss what it is that I'm trying to teach you. And then he goes on and he says, this is what you need to understand. You need to have love for your enemies. You, you need not judge others. And then after Jesus goes through this little task, we get to our scripture for today. So I invite you to follow along in your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49, or we'll have the words printed on the screen for you to follow. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundations on rock. And when a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But then the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So you see this picture uh, of two separate people, one who took the time and opportunity to really dig down deep and, and made a, a clear foundation for his house. So when trouble comes and when difficulty comes, which we know will always be there, trouble will always come, we will always have difficulties in our lives, but because he actually dug down and, and built on the foundation on rock, when troubles came, he was fine. But the other one who just hastily took a shortcut and, and just put up the house so he can have a place to quickly move into, when, when the trouble came and when the torrent struck, that house fell down. And what Jesus is saying, look, I am giving you what you need to do in order to build that foundation, in order to, to dig down deep and then let what you build last. Some people may say, look, God, I'll, I'll listen to what you have to say. I, I just don't want to do it. Soren Kierkegaard, who is a famous theologian, he had uh, this quote where he talked about what Christians normally do. Most people really believe that the Christian commandments, for example, to love one neighbor as oneself, are intentionally a little too severe, like putting the clock ahead a half hour to make sure of not being late in the morning. You all know how that works, don't you? When you, when you set your time a little bit earlier, what does that give you time to do? To hit the snooze. That way you can wake up four or five times before you're actually supposed to wake up to get doing what you're supposed to be doing. See, Kierkegaard is saying that, that, that most of the time when, when we take a look at the, the laws and the instructions that Jesus are giving us, it's like, well, you know, that's, that's harsh for a reason. That, that, that's harsh for a reason. He doesn't really mean for us to do that. But he's giving us these examples just so we can, you know, maybe be a little bit better than what we really are. But the fact of the matter is, and what Jesus 
even says in our passage, why do you call me Lord and do not do what I say? You need to come and put my words into practice so that you might live and have that abundant life that I have given you. Later on in, in the New Testament, James, he talks a little bit about this too, where he says, but sometimes someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Now, this isn't a works righteous type of thing where we're saying that the work that we do is going to get us saved. What it's saying is that, no, because I believe that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, I am going to live my life as a disciple of Jesus Christ. James goes on by giving us an example of Abraham. Abraham didn't have Jesus. Jesus didn't come and die for Abraham's sin, but Abraham was righteous in his example because he did what God told him to do. And it was credited to him as righteousness. But see, we don't have to just look at Abraham. We can look at the work of Jesus Christ. He put into practice. He did not take any shortcuts. And if there was anybody in the world that could have taken a shortcut, it could have been Jesus. But he knew that he had to walk the right way. So we didn't see Jesus worrying about money. Instead, he said, don't worry about things. Look at the birds of the fields. Even they are, are well-dressed. God will give you what you need today for today. Jesus even took time to pray forgiveness for those who executed him. And Jesus modeled a life of obedience to the Father. He, he modeled a life saying, God, because you are telling me to do this, I will do it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, which we'll, we'll get to at the end of Lent, Jesus is asking for the cup to be taken from him, but he finally says, it's not my will, but it is yours. And I will live as you have called me to live. Remember, this isn't a way of about keeping rules. It's not a way about making sure that we can say, look, we did this, we did this, we did this. But it is an opportunity for always to listen and open up to the whisper of the Holy Spirit and respond with, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I am not only listening, but I am doing. You know, it reminds me of the the GPS that we have, you have Apple Maps or, or Google Maps on your phone right now. When I, when I was in youth ministry, I remember I thought it was so awesome that we no longer had to deal with Mapsco's. Remember those things? It was a big old giant thick book that had the entire city and you'd have to look up your city or look up your address and then you would open up to that page and do, do this little thing, okay, at 5F. Uh, make sure there, then you have to figure out your own route. Well, when I did youth ministry, we had uh, this thing called MapQuest that was online. And you could type in you know, your, your address and then where you were going. And then it would print out about eight or nine pages worth of 
directions on where to go. Every single small little turn you would have to do was there. And I would make copies of that for the different vans that we had because even back then, cell phones, we had them, but we didn't want to use them because they were too expensive to use, so we had walkie-talkies. And we knew that if we had the walkie-talkies and somebody got out of range, we knew that if they had this, they would be able to make sure they got to the next spot that we needed to meet at. But now with the advent of GPS, all you have to do is just, just type it in and, and it helps you go. And just like the Holy Spirit, it gives you this nice little comforting phrase, or it used to, and now it just kind of reroutes you, but it was that recalculating. You remember that? Recalculating. It would tell you to recalculate. It wouldn't say, you stupid person, why would you turn there? You were supposed to go straight. It would say recalculating. It would help you get back on the right path to where you can go. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. The Holy Spirit comes and gently nudges us and leads us and says, recalculating, this is the way that you are to go. It is a gift because of Jesus Christ. First John 2, verses 1 through 2 says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sin, and not only for ours, but also for the sin of the whole world. So the season of Lent, we stop, and we turn, and we look at the cross. We look at the cross for our direction. We look at the cross for the guidance that we need. We look at the cross so that we don't, like the people of Jesus' time, just call out, Lord, Lord, we hear what you have said. We say, Lord, Lord, we do what you have called us to do. So in your bulletins, you'll see our spiritual practice for this next week, week two, and it's all about meditation and obedience. Now, there may be some people that they hear that word meditation, they go, ooh, I don't want it. Meditation, that's, that's kind of that Easterny yoga-ish type of thing. I don't want to do that. But meditation is a part of Scripture. If, if you look in the uh, Psalms, over 15 times, the Psalms tell us to meditate on God's word. Even in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, it says that we are to uh, not let the book of the law depart from our mouth, to meditate it on it day and night, that you may be careful to do what is written. When we meditate on God's word, it allows us the opportunity to, to do what God has called us to do. So the two practices for you to practice is to take a look at Psalm 119, verse 97 through 104. If you want to take a look at all of the verses of Psalm 119, you can help yourself. There's, a, there's plenty of them there. And then color code them and, and to take a look and see how you are called to listen and meditate on God's word. Or you can do just take a walk. Take scripture with you, and there's a couple of scripture suggestions there that you can meditate on as you're walking. And, and place yourself within that story of what it is to be in relationship with Jesus, to have Jesus come and be a part of your life. 
and then turn and go and do what Christ has called you to do. My hope and my prayer is that along with me, we stop trying to take shortcuts. We stop trying to short-circuit things so it benefits us, but we look at how we can fully live into the grace that God has given us and say, God, because you have called me forward as your child, I will not only hear what you have called me to do, but I will live and act in the way that you have called me to live. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you for your obedience because without your obedience, we wouldn't even be here. Without your obedience, all of this would just be for naught. But because you came and you did the Father's will, we as your disciples are then called to live and do your Father's will. As James says, not to be just hearers of the word, but to be doers of the word. To put your words into practice. To love our neighbors, even when they are unlovable. To bring peace where there is strife. To love when we feel unlovable. So God, allow your grace to continue to guide us and lead us and strengthen us as we move our way to the cross and to your glorious light. And we pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.